This is episode 44 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Martina Bingham. Really finding a solution for you is really important and everybody's different. So it's one of those things where I can't give you a perfect answer, but you really have to take some time and put thought into it so that you're taking care of yourself as best you can. Um, and for music therapists, we call it a, we call it dosage in singing, right? This is a conversation that we have pretty often with music educators as well. Um, you're singing with a really high dosage, just meaning that you have to use your voice for long periods of time all day. Um, and typically, you know, however, five days a week or whatever it is for you. Um, <clears throat> so being able to, you know, take a little break and let yourself do a cool down exercise, um, have plenty of water with you, right? Make sure you eat. <laughs> All of that stuff affects your voice. Really, it is pretty fickle having an instrument that's inside your body. Because if you're mistreating your body, then your voice will definitely suffer. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I'm a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have my conversation with Martina Bingham, who is, surprise, not a music therapist, but she is a lecturer of voice at the University of Hawaii. And if you haven't already seen her article in Music Therapy Perspectives, it is entitled Defining the Therapeutic Singing Voice. And that will be linked in the show notes so you can find it there and check it out. When I saw this article, I immediately reached out to Martina because the work she is doing, the research she's doing is really phenomenal for helping us as music therapists recognize what it is we're doing with our voice. And her vocal training enables her to give advice and feedback that's different than at least what I've heard from other music therapists because her training is so extensive in a different area. So in this conversation, we got into some practical advice to use for vocal maintenance, things that she's seen music therapists do with their voice that really surprised her that maybe we don't think of so much. And also the fact that she has some upcoming research. So we'll have an even bigger body of knowledge on this topic. So check out the show notes for her current article and to connect with her and also keep an eye and an ear out for what she has up and coming. Uh, it's really amazing that she as a teacher of music therapists is taking the time and the initiative to help us as a profession better understand the use of our vocals and to be able to use them in a healthy way. So thank you so much, Martina. I think I said it like a million times in this episode, but I really gained so much from this conversation and I hope you, the listener, will as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, please check us out on social media. We are Music Therapy Chronicles. Join our group on Facebook because our 50th episode is coming up and I have some ideas for ways to celebrate and give back to you guys for that 50th episode. So you'll want to be in the Facebook group for that. 
If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on patreon.com. The link is always in the show notes. And thank you so much to those of you who donated during the month of February uh, because those donations went to the Australian Red Cross to help with their disaster relief efforts. Um, I'm really proud that as a collective, we were able to give back in that way. At the end of this episode, I will be reading a review from Facebook, but please also consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts to help this show be more visible to other people looking for this type of content. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Martina. Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles, Martina. Thank you. How are you feeling today? Feeling great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm excited because you are the first non-music therapist or music therapy intern that I have had on the show. So I'm really excited for your your unique perspective on our topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, I am, am getting used to having conversations in as sort of like an outsider's point of view recently. So it's pretty fun for me, actually. But thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for making the time to be on the show. So yeah, to to start us off, uh, since you're not a music therapist, for anyone who has not read your research article, which we'll get into, can you explain to the listeners your relation to music therapy? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm a voice teacher and a singer. Um, I started to work with music therapists when I was a doctoral student at Shenandoah University. Um, and my biggest connection really was that I started to teach music therapists or excuse me, music therapy students in my voice studio at Shenandoah. Um, and so I just started kind of learning about what they were learning about and what they're doing and then um, was fortunate enough to develop a relationship with some of the music therapy faculty there. And um, that's kind of how the research ideas budded. Um, basically, I was teaching music therapy students and started to figure out that I wasn't quite sure what they were preparing for, um, which is pretty different than most of the other students because um, I really understand what it's like to move into the world as a performer um, or as a music educator of some sort. Um, if I haven't studied music education, I've learned from music educators. So we all have a little bit of a relationship with um, with that discipline. Um, but music therapy was pretty foreign to me. Um, and I started to learn about it because I just really figured out that I needed to. I want to say that it's really commendable that you did that because I remember in my education, my music therapy education, peers really having a tough time with specifically their voice teachers, not taking the time to understand what their needs were or what they were trying to focus on or just the fact that the repertoire they were learning for their clinical practicum didn't help enhance what they were learning in their lessons, if that makes sense, because they're very different uses of the voice. So congratulations to you for wanting <laughs> to marry those two and for taking the step to research it and help our field grow 
in our our vocal use yeah really it's it's my pleasure um i've had such a blast learning about what you guys do and our my research is so much fun because i just get to go into um you know clinical settings and watch people do fantastic work and you know take notes on it and and whatever but really it's been a fantastic learning experience for me um, and I, um, I really sympathize with you folks because there, I've had these conversations in a lot of different settings now. Um, I live in Hawaii. I recently presented on this in um, a West Coast uh, Nats conference, the National Association of Teachers of Singing. Um, and I've had lots of sort of anecdotal conversations kind of all over the country. Um, and it sort of depends on where you grew up, where you went to college, that kind of thing. But so many people really just don't know what music therapy is. And it's not that you guys are a brand new discipline. You know, it's just something that, um, you know, it's it seems to be, at least from my perspective, it seems to be um, kind of situational, just depending, um, again, on the, on the surroundings and kind of just whatever circumstances. But it often gets confused when I'm talking to people in, in kind of the voice discipline with speech language pathology and other kinds of like rehabilitative therapies. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of fun for me to be able to talk to people about it and, and, you know, hopefully be a little bit of of an ambassador on this end. Um, and really just, you know, learn about all the wonderful things that you guys are doing in professional practice. I can already tell you're a wonderful advocate just by the way you talk. So thank you. Yeah. Of course, yeah. So I think it was at the fall of last year, so fall of 2019, you released or you had an article published uh, defining the therapeutic singing voice in music therapy's perspective. So yeah. can you tell the listeners all about that? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, sure. So the, the article that was published was based on my dissertation research. Um and uh, one of our goals was to define the therapeutic singing voice, particularly in clinical music therapy. Um, <clears throat> so how we did that was to um, watch and listen to music therapists as much as possible. I had four participants in that project, uh, and I was able to observe um, 10 to 12 sessions with each one of them. Those are just the ones that I was able to use for data collection. I was able to watch them for months, actually, before I, I started the data collection. Um, so that was really cool because I was able to, you know, get to know those clinicians, and I kind of just tagged along with them whenever it was possible and appropriate for me to be in the room. Um, so I watched them for a number of months. And then um, used a system of qualitative research to try and break down what I was seeing. Um, for me, the biggest data intake that we or that I was working with was voice use. So I broke it up into categories that are very, you know, situated in voice pedagogy study. Um, so I had a little quadrant, and I talked about um, things related to alignment and um, respiration or breathing. Um, I talked about acoustics and resonance. I talked about um, physical muscular use as much as I could interpret and um, like vocal fold level findings. And then I talked about style and articulation. So those were kind of my categories. Um, <clears throat> and I just basically took in a ton of data and then, you know, tried to sort of um, grapple with what I found and, and find, um, uh, 
find consistencies, sorry, across the different participants. But the great thing about having kind of a, obviously it's a little bit of a limitation, right? Having a small participant group. But the great thing about it was that I was able to get into a lot of detail and I made profiles for each of them uh, and really, you know, sort of worked with, um, you know, personal details and how they work in their sessions and the kinds of interventions that they're using. Um, and it was just, that was fantastic. That was kind of my favorite part of it. And actually, unfortunately, that's the part that I'm not able to share very often because, um, you know, there's always a time limitation and, and those kind of details are just not, we don't have time for them most of the time in a presentation and even in the paper that it was cut pretty short. Um, but yeah, so I was able to do that. And then from there, we did a second level of, uh, data analysis where, um, we looked for those, you know, consistent, um, consistent voice qualities across uh, all four participants. And that's how I looked for, um, I looked to try and put together the definition. Um, from there, actually, the, the next layer was talking about implications. So for me, um, the point of the research is to be able to contribute a little bit from the voice education end of things, right? So we want to be able to make recommendations for voice teachers and talk about how we might be able to better serve music therapy students in the voice studio. Um, so that really is my talking point. And when I present this to voice teachers, I spend the majority of my time work talking about that. Introducing, for many of them, they actually do need to know what music therapy is um, and what voice use may look like in a clinical setting. Um, making that differentiation between um, clinical-based singing and performance-based singing is, uh, seems to be pretty important. Uh, and then from there, talking about practical application. So the practical application is, if we're defining it in this way, what are some of the things that we can do to, um, <clears throat> you know, to teach these students uh, to um, accommodate your unique needs and the needs of what you're preparing to do professionally? Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's what the paper is about in a nutshell. Um, we're actually working on a continuation project now, which is just very similar, but much larger in scope. Awesome. Um, so I'm hoping awesome. to be able to add to and refine the, both the definition and the teaching students from there. That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's not just me, actually. I'm working with two brilliant music therapists that are, um, you know, that'll contribute tons to the project. So that's going to be great because we'll have different perspectives. <clears throat> awesome. So what are some of those details that you had to maybe minimize in your publication that you can share with us? Sure. Um, the The details were, um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, so I had four music therapists and they, um, I mean, some of the details are probably things that are not even terribly extraordinary to you because you are learning about, you know, you're, you are a music therapist and you've spent years and years learning about these things. Um, but really just sort of the intricacies of the practice, right? Like what the, what, what the feeling was in the room and what the people, um, what the, the clients, how the clients responded to what each of uh, the, um, my participants, the music therapists were doing vocally. Um, and, you know, some of those, like, uh, <clears throat> some of the really particular things that, say, one of my participants, Cornelia, was her pseudonym. And she would, she used a lot of, like, vocal play and improvisation with um, clients who were children. 
Um, and so there were a lot of instances of her kind of creating a little musical language or, um, you know, really just waiting, accommodating whatever the client needed, but she did that vocally, right? So that might have been by taking the words out of a song and changing the tempo to, um, she, she matched the, the client's, uh, I remember her matching the tempo of a client's marching, Right. So the, the kid was marching around the room and she was singing something on a neutral syllable to accommodate him. And then whenever he, um, you know, expressed, you know, needing something else, she then changed that again. Right? So all those little details that are really just that to me is one of the most unique things about clinical singing is that you have you all have to be just so adaptive. And um, there's there's a constant uh, just the constant kind of kind of evolution of what's going on in the room, right? Because you're singing for the needs of another person rather than, you know, for your, um, to give a beautiful performance or to, um, instead of accommodating your own needs, basically you're accommodating someone else's. Um, so yeah, I, sorry, I can't think of, of a lot of specific details right in this moment, but really it, it's the interaction. It was the ways in which these, you know, the music therapists were relating to the person or people in front of them. Yeah. yeah so that, that made me think of when you're giving a performance, a lot of time it's your interpretation of the music you're given, right? Where we're using mm -hmm. our voice, among other things, to create our interpretation of whatever the client's needs are. So they're similar, but you're right, so different in if you don't have that training or that familiarity with music therapy and the practice, it does seem like this very, it is an intricate thing, but it, it does seem like this very intricate thing if you were trained to use your voice differently. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a different, it's a different focus. It's a different mindset. Um, yeah, we talked about, we, we, um, I presented as a, a differing perspective uh, a lot of times in presentation, uh, just because we are coming from a different perspective, right? Our, um, in performance and in voice pedagogy too, because in, we're training to train performers, right? When we're um, and even if that's a really casual performance, even that's if that's a performance just for yourself, right? If I'm working with the beginning singer and and they just want to be able to, um, you know, be more confident and sound better, right? Um, even a performance like that is still pretty. In, it's that's an internal kind of goal, um, and it it does have to do with you, right? Of course, you're trying to you know please your audience, but you do that through kind of a just a different set of a different trajectory, I suppose, in the way that it's prepared. Um, and just that awareness, I think, changes the way that I look at a music therapy student in the voice studio. Um, because I think any good voice teacher is going to be trying to prepare the student for what's coming up next, right? And a lot of times for us, that's a competition or a jury at the end of the semester or an audition or, you know, all of those things that we're very familiar with. Um, but we're so not familiar with watching somebody sit in front of, you know, a person who needs help in any, you know, variety of ways and singing for that purpose. It's just, it's a really different alignment of, um, of goals and of, of purpose. Yeah. Well said. So what are some of the most maybe surprising things you observed in a session or an enlightening thing or something you saw happen 
with the voice and you were you thought to yourself well that's really cool or I didn't expect that yeah you know um this is absolutely not an insult of any kind but sometimes it's really interesting to watch um when something is not beautiful, you know, and how effective like using your voice in a really non-traditional way can be. Um, and I've seen that so much with, um, with clinicians working with children, um, just really making all kinds of sounds. And I've, I find a lot of parallels, um, in voice training actually, because I, I say this all the time to particularly to new students, um, that you're going to make all kinds of crazy sounds in here. They're not all supposed to be pretty, you know, and, you know, just go with it, you know, like try the things I'm asking you to try and then we will kind of, you know, tear it apart later. Um, and so watching music therapists, particularly, particularly with children, you know, with, um, different needs, different, you know, possibly, um, disabilities or, um, whatever it may be responding to, I mean, loud quacking sounds or like growls or, um, (laughs) you know, just actual, you know, yelling, stylized yelling, probably, right, or onomatopoeia, that kind of thing, um, that just watching those kinds of things be so effective, really, that kind of challenges the way that we train the singing voice, right. Um, and the voice in general, because I suppose that, that that's a little bit of a stretch to call it singing, right. We've called it vocal play in our data analysis, um, because you're, you know, you re- they really are using their voices to play. Um, but that uh, watching that is really kind of liberating because we train so often to find beauty within a certain style, right? That's a little different if you're you're training someone to sing um, an operatic aria versus a jazz standard or a musical theater piece or whatever. Um, so those standards are different, right? But there there are um, fewer rules in that music therapy session, right? And sometimes the things that aren't beautiful are really, really effective clinically. And of course, like everybody that I've watched can sing beautifully as well. And I think that's important, right? Especially with that kind of thing, but really it just, the variety of sounds is really, really cool to watch. And a lot of times that is, you know, just sounding crazy and um you know making a lot of noise and the physicality of it is incredible actually rolling around on the ground right (laughs) or or running around a room um it's yeah that's pretty amazing so i i suppose using the voice in those non-traditional ways really sticks with me yeah what a great what a great example so what advice do you have as a vocal teacher for those of us creating those sounds, doing those non-beautiful things while running around the room and rolling on the floor? (laughs) Uh, I suppose my advice would be really to listen to your body. Um, Because the thing is, there's not, uh, most of the time, I would guess that what you're doing is probably not very damaging to you. You know, we make all kinds of sounds every day, right, that are not, you know, within the con- uh, the construct of a beautiful sound in Western music, right? Um, but since you're doing it in a pretty strenuous way and you're doing it every day and, um, you know, it, there's a lot uh, of vocal health issues that you might just want to be aware of, um, listen to your body, right? If your voice feels strained after a session, you may want to evaluate what you were doing and, and see if there's anything you can do to help yourself, right? 
Um, if you make a sound and um, it's really hard for you to produce, then that might be something that could benefit from a little bit of training or just a little bit of you know thoughtfulness. Um, so I think knowing your own voice is really, really important. And you don't really have to be a trained singer to do that, right? But that is actually where the training can be helpful. Um, so, you, you know, just knowing what you can do to help yourself in a situation where you need to make a certain sound or you need to sing something that may be a little bit uncomfortable for you. Um, so what are the tools that you can use to make that more efficient, you know, e easier and ultimately more healthy? So your body tells you a lot of really important things, and I think that's good to listen to. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned yeah. vocal health because it is such an important part of our profession that I think we touch on at times, and it can be really hard to preserve our vocal health because of the needs we need to satisfy all day, every day. I have mm -hmm. at one of the schools I go to the music teacher. I'm lucky to have my sessions in her room, and she has intense vocal problems like she's she might need surgery soon and I sent her some of our body of research about ways to preserve her vocals and um, keep them maintain their health with what we're doing all day every day so do you have any maintenance advice in general listening to your body totally 110 percent but say like preventative maintenance or even tips you've used in the past where right before performance you really need something extra yeah um, I think it's important for everybody to have some sort of a routine. Um, and I, that's one of the first things that I try to help a student create, especially a student who is a, a working professional, you know, cause it's just not, uh, it's, it's not reasonable most of the time for a teacher to expect somebody who's, you know, working full time as a voice user to spend an hour practicing every day. We just don't have that kind of time a lot of the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's, it's just not the reality of it when you're out working all day. Um, so coming up with a five to 10 minute warm up routine and not just warm up, but a way to check in with your voice, right? So to vocalize and to touch the different parts of your voice, check in, right? Actually sort of like dust off the vocal folds in the morning kind of thing. Um, so to do those things and check in, because if you do something similar every day, then you're checking in with with the same thing, right? So if I'm singing that regular five tone and I start in a similar place every day, I'm going to feel it immediately Immediately, if something's a little off, right? Or if maybe my voice just feels a little bit heavy that day or if there's a, it's particularly bright that morning, right? Um, I'll feel those things and then I can kind of adjust or at least know what to expect when I walk into my first, for me, my first session would be a voice lesson, right? And for you guys, You'd walk into that first session with a client and you've already at least like touched in with yourself that morning, um, checked in with yourself rather. Um, so having a routine that's specific to your voice, I think is so important. Um, and you know, I, we, we, I have a little process, um, something that checks in with the low part of your voice, right? Takes you all the way down to the bottom of your range, something that moves you up to the top in a healthy way, you know, that where you can you know, experiment with stretching out your muscles and um, opening up your opening up the space to create a higher sound. And that, you know, really sort of moves through the middle of your voice quite a bit, right? So um, coming up with three to four exercises that you can do in the car, you can do, you know, if you have a little time in your in the office before you walk into the to the clinical space, whatever that is for you, right? 
a lot of times it's the car. <laughs> um, so, but having something that you can rely on every day is so important. Um, and then, uh, you know, other important parts of vocal health are to, of course, stay hydrated, to have a plan if you're somebody who suffers from allergies or asthma, that kind of thing. I mean, those are terribly common. Um, and that was actually, interestingly enough, I've heard about allergies so much from various music therapists when I've been out, you know, observing and working. Um, and so that's a tough one because everybody's different, right? When we teach vocal health to any, any singer, any voice user, we go through the effects of, um, over the counter medicine on the, on the vocal folds and just on the mechanism in general, right? How is that going to affect you? Many of them, you know, dehydrate. And so you have to pair it with a ton of water, um, but really finding a solution for you is really important and everybody's different. So it's one of those things where I can't give you a perfect answer, but you really have to take some time and put thought into it so that you're taking care of yourself as best you can. Um, and for music therapists, we call it a, we call it dosage in singing, right? This is a conversation that we have pretty often with music educators as well. Um, you're singing with a really high dosage just meaning that you have to use your voice for long periods of time all day. Um, and typically, you know, however, five days a week or whatever it is for you. Um, <clears throat> so being able to, you know, take a little break and let yourself do a cool down exercise, um, have plenty of water with you, right? Make sure you eat. <laughs> All of that stuff affects your voice. Really, it is pretty fickle having an instrument that's inside your body. Because if you're mistreating your body, then your voice will definitely suffer. I love that part <laughs> at the end. <laughs> if, um, I, it's it, so it is. It is. And it's it's hard to explain it to people who don't use their voice all the time. Like um, when I come home at the end of the day to my partner, sometimes I'll say, like, look, I've my voice is tired. I don't want to talk like I'll listen. You know, we can have a conversation and catch up about our day, but I don't want to talk right now. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it's really foreign to other people. And I, I often feel a little crazy. You know, I'm the, we're the, and I, I don't think whatever, I wouldn't even say that. I don't think I'm crazy, but um, it, we're, we're often the hypochondriacs in the world or in the room. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I, I can't do that today. You know, my husband will forget sometimes. He's like, hey, you want to go to the beach? I'm like, no, I have to sing in five hours, you know, but, but it's still not, it, I just, the sun will make me tired and I'll get dehydrated inevitably. And I just have to be careful with those certain things. And I know what, what's going, going to affect me at this point. That's the other thing is students have to figure it out. You don't know what's going to affect you until you're really like out there using your voice the way that you're going to. So I would imagine that that intern year is really a time of, um, trial and error and finding those things. It's, it's silly stuff, you know, like I can't eat citrus if I have a lot of, uh, singing to do. I learned that the hard way actually in college because I ate an orange before a voice lesson and I was choking all over myself. Um, so, and, but dairy doesn't affect me very much. You know, some people freak out about milk and that's it. So that's a perfect example of, you can't just tell somebody you can't do this and you have to blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, because everybody's a little bit different. There are certain things that are pretty standard, right? There are certain things, you know, will dehydrate you. That's, that's the big one really. I mean, I, and most of the music therapists that I've observed are so good. I mean, they've got their little water bottle next to them all, all the time. And um, they've found that to be a necessity. You know, people really do. They, they're trying to take care of themselves. I remember the first time 
I, I moved back to New Hampshire from Pennsylvania and they're, they're both north, but there was a big difference in the amount of humidity change in the winter and I remember like like one week I was just really really hurting and I was thinking why why is my voice hurting so badly this week and I'm phlegmy and and I put my humidifier in my house on and suddenly everything was fixed it was just this magical thing so just having that at night to come home to a space that was more conducive to my rest and rehabilitation so the next day I wasn't still gasping for not that I wasn't drinking water but it's just a different a different type of hydration, I guess. Yeah, it's not that it's it's different, and you you need those elements. So good for you for figuring it out. Sometimes it can. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I'll be working through something, and I just cannot figure out what it is. And I've been a professional voice user for fifteen years. You know, like I have my little list of things, and sometimes it just takes time. Yeah. Also, yeah. just forgiving yourself for having kind of a bad voice day, right? It's not going to be perfect every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and sort of what qualifies perfection for you is different. And that's something for voice teachers to keep in mind too, right? Because the performance voice that I need is a little bit different than the clinical voice that you need on a day to day. And that's not any better or worse. It's just kind of a different list of elements, different list of things to keep in mind. Um, but really like drink water that (laughs) give you advice that everybody knows that already. Right. But you can't hear it enough. Just drink the water and then go from there. <laughs> so true. When you're listening to this episode, find your water right now. Take a nice sip. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I'm actually sitting here with my second cup of coffee and a glass of water because, like, that's how I function. <laughs> I totally understand. I always have my tea and my water ready. And all the time I'll have clients, you know, in between songs, I'll take a swig. What are you drinking? Always water. Oh, you know, it's tea and water. And they, they always ask like it's going to be something exciting. Nope, just water. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. So sometimes to try and explain to people my needs as a music therapist for preventative maintenance on my voice I compare what we do to a musical theater model and I say to people well you know a a performer a vocal performer in a Broadway show is using their voice all day every day doing difficult things they're moving when they're singing and I I try to make that parallel so do you see any similarities between what we do and what a musical performer, a musical theater specifically performer would do? Yeah, absolutely. That's an interesting question because I've been focusing on the differences, right? That's the part that I feel like needs and talked about, but there are tons of similarities. Um, just on the basic level, the the dosage, the amount of time that you're that you're using your voice during the day. Um, and I would argue actually that a music therapist may use their their voices more even on a on a typical day. It depends, right? There's not it's not about making that exact comparison. Um, but when you're performing in the evening, right? If you're like in the middle of a run. Um, you're doing a full warm up and stuff, and then you're singing through a three hour show, however much that is for you. Um, you can actually, a music therapist might be singing for six hours, right? With very little break, maybe with a, a lunch break or just transitions between sessions or the car ride between one session and another, whatever it is. Um, so I would say a huge similarity is just that really the strenuous in the sense that the duration is long. You're singing for a really long time. Um, and I, I do find 
quite a lot of similarities in voice use, actually. I, I think that musical theater is pretty um, similar m much of the time, um, just because it's a speech-based style of singing. Um, and I've found that that's the case often in music therapy sessions. Um, not all the time, right? But there's there's quite a bit of that, right? With all the improvisation that you folks do and with the um, with much of the music being sung, being um, pop rock, folk, hymns, that kind of thing, um, it's pretty similar in voice production, I would say. Um, obviously, some of the differences are there's usually no amplification and um, uh, it, it may not be quite as loud, although maybe in a big group of, say, older adults, it would be... I've seen music therapists need to use their voices very loudly, right, in a session. Um, so, yeah, definitely some similarities. And the physicality, too. I mean, there's no choreographed dance, but sometimes you are, you know, up moving around <laughs> or, or running or doing some sort of acrobatics with your client, whatever that is. Um, so there are absolutely some similarities, I think. And I think the energy level um, needs to be – you just have to be really on, Right. Um, in any one-on-one -on -one interaction, um, I compare that a bit actually to teaching voice um, because it's way more exhausting for me to teach for five hours than it would be, you know, in one-on-one -on -one lessons than it is for me to say, you know, do paperwork or study or um, even teach a class sometimes or just because of that intense one-on-one -on -one connection, right? Um, that. And I don't say exhausting in a bad way, really. It take, but it really just does take a lot of concentration and a lot of energy from your whole body. Um, and you don't realize that until you know afterwards. It's like, woof, like that was a really great and productive and exhausting day. Um, and I can only imagine the level of that when you're doing session after session as a music therapist. I mean, it's it's really intense work a lot of the time. And even if it's if it's lower energy, right? The amount of concentration that you're putting into um, catering to another person and adjusting what you're doing to meet their needs and all of that, that's constant brain power. Um, so anyway, yeah, definitely some similarities to performers. And then I, I would say also to other one-on-one -on -one interactions like, um, like teaching or, you know, possibly other types of therapy. I, I don't know. I'm not an expert in that, but yeah, that the one-on-one -on -one thing is is really quite um, it's really powerful and it it can be very tiring because there's it's just it's good work. That made me think of kind of a selfish selfish question that I'm not sure you'll have an answer for. But in order to maintain that interaction, both one-on-one -on -one and in a group, I find myself I, I'm constantly smiling. You know, I have to present that bright affect to engage the client or clients. And when you watch a performer vocally, a vocal performer, I can talk, mm -hmm. um, they, the shapes they make with their mouth are not often a smiling shape. So do you have <laughs> any tips for how to keep a good vocal, I don't even know the word, to, to sing well or even make funny noises well while keeping that smile shape in your mouth? Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, well, we talk about this all the time in classical singing, actually, because the strategy in classical singing is much more ovular, right? It's it's a taller space. Um, in the most basic sense, we refer to it as a yawn shape rather than a smile shape. Um, and so you learn to smile with other parts of your 
ex expressive um they, well the other parts of your face really you can smile by lifting the tops of your cheeks right you can smile with your eyes you can use your eyebrows um that kind of thing but that it, i mean that's really um you have to be quite intentional then about making the sound that you want if it's not in a smile shape um although a smile shape is really beneficial to a lot of contemporary styles of of singing right in in a musical theater style in pop singing a, a smile is often fine um, but if you do want that a little bit more warmth, right, if you want to use a different resonance strategy, then I would say keep your smile up here as you open that, you know, drop your jaw, open that longer space if you need it. Um, yeah, I, I would say that you'd probably need to kind of like refer to your, um, well, that would be a good time to probably to refer to some of your performance training, right? Um, ways to be expressive and ways to, um, well, we we call ourselves singing actors a lot of the time in performance. Um, so that training would be helpful there. Um, but really, yeah, smile with your eyes and then be intent. You'd have to be really intentional. I suppose if you're smiling at somebody to be like, Oh, Oh, actually keep the corners of my mouth in, you know, change that up a little bit. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. As someone who has uh, no vocal performance training at all, that was very helpful. So thank you. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could watch little videos. I mean, like if you, um, dramatic coaches or like dramatic, um, uh, voice professionals, right. Well, we'll kind of work with us to train that. Um, I actually find that I, so I was a thespian in high school and my acting training really, like really sticks with me, even though it was a million years ago and it's, um, you know, it was, it was, I was only, you know, I was, I've probably done three or four straight plays in my entire life. Um, but that, I mean, I, I remember some of the things that those teachers said, you know, just a little bit of, of work, you know, in, in like expressiveness, right. Might be, might be helpful, but yeah, if you don't have voice training in that way, um, then that would be, that would be kind of difficult. Remember that you can smile with the rest of your face. I suppose that's an easy way to say that. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Do you have any uh, other resources <laughs> on that or on anything you've talked about that you want to share? Mm, shoot, I wish I was a little more prepared with that. Um, let's see. I actually learned quite a bit of um, sort of dramatic uh, tools from a program called Opera Works. Um, and not that I actually, the program isn't doesn't exist anymore, but... Um, not that that program in particular or something like it would be super useful or appropriate for a music therapist, but there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of materials that they've put out that I find really useful. I have these flashcards where, um, there are two sets of them. One of them are physical motions and the other set are emotions, right? So you put one up and it says indifferent. And then you need to keep singing whatever you're singing and try and express it indifferently um, or, you know, furiously or whatever the flashcard says. That would might be interesting. And you could do that yourself, right? You wouldn't necessarily have to go buy them from this source. But um, that might be interesting practice for you, right? Like if you take your music therapy repertoire that you use all the time and then somebody holds up a flashcard that says uh, crazily and you have to try and express that, right, by still maintaining your technique how would that work for you? Um, stuff like that has been helpful. 
for me at least. And it's funny. It's really, I mean, you could do that if on a, on a kind of nerdy night <laughs> with your colleagues or something. Um, yeah, it might be a fun little party game actually. <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry. I, I can't think of any other resources off the top of my head, but I can send you some if I, um, think about it later. Awesome. I will link them. I'm thinking about those cards and emotion and a physical motion and doing that in a session with a client to a song they really like. So say twinkle, twinkle, little star, and you show them crazily or you show them sad or you show them happy. That would be an awesome intervention for emotional identification and like working on their self-expression. Wow. Yeah. See, look, different perspectives, right? You took that same thing and you're applying it to something very different. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but it, it, it would, that sounds wonderful. And it is really fun actually in, in most contexts. The physical things are like bend your knee, right? Or jump up and down or um, whatever it is, squat on the squat on your heels or something like that. And so then you have to maintain whatever you're doing or expressing while you do something funny physically. And then you could do multiples, I suppose, if you, if you want to get real crazy. I love that, especially for um, any any clients who have a lot of difficulty staying still. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a way to keep them focused without making them sit down. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you also, I will link your article, your research article. Is there anywhere we can access your dissertation to see all the other things that you um, observed and wrote about? That is so embarrassing. It's actually, I never actually published it, but shortly it'll be up through Shenandoah University. Um, So not quite yet, but the dissertation should be available. And that's totally just my fault for um, like not sending it to the appropriate people. No pressure. Um, I just was wondering. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, It it will be available through the Shenandoah University Library. Um, Just give it like a month. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. That'll be that'll probably be about when this is coming out. Coming out. So, oh, good, uh, good. <laughs> awesome. I'll I'll link what I can, and then hopefully the listeners will be able to find it. Okay, great. Do you have anything else you want to share before we move into our rapid fire questions? Oh, um, I don't think so. Just thank you again for having me, and it really like it's it's been such a um, a gift for me to be able to study this stuff, you know, and it, it's an, it's a unique situation to be in because I tell people, everyone assumes then that I'm studying to be a music therapist when I tell them about my research area. Um, and I, you know, have lots and lots of training and other things. So I don't think that that'll ever be a reality for me, but just to be able to watch it and learn from it has been, um, quite a joy. It's been fantastic. So yeah, I'm quite honored to be able to talk to you about these things. Well, I have learned so much from you just in this this conversation. You also, I forgot to mention earlier, you have a podcast episode with Perspectives on Perspectives. Yes. Yeah, so I'll link that. Yep. I'll link that for everyone too. Hopefully, I think we've covered some different areas, so we'll 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 learn different things. Yeah, this is a, a different kind of conversation, so yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for teaching me and being on the show and... Now I'm going to ask you the rapid fire questions. So the questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Right here. <laughs> Early bird <laughs> or night owl? Night owl. And I wish I could break the habit, but I just, my body doesn't work that way. <laughs> I stay okay. up way too late. <laughs> it probably works nicely for when you have a performance at night or something. 
Yeah, it does. And I can't necessarily blame it on that. Uh, but, but it does because I have plenty of energy when the show starts at seven 30 and I'm, um, you know, singing at 10 o'clock at night. So, but if I have to teach at 8am, oof, just <laughs> might not be as cohesive as it should be. <laughs> Good to know your body, just like knowing your vocal needs, knowing your your circadian yes, rhythm needs. Yes, exactly. Your music therapy uh-huh. elevator speech. Oh my goodness. Um, my music therapy elevator speech. Yeah, okay, so I'm so really interested. <laughs> I would say it's a way to use music to... Um, meet clinical goals for others. That's way too academic, though. Goodness, uh, it's a way to um, it um, to use music in order to um, to help someone therapeutically. I suppose would would be what I might say. Um, and then I would probably give examples, right? So maybe for somebody who's suffering from Parkinson's disease or, or Alzheimer's, or um, for a young child, you know, working through a, a learning learning disability or something and just to kind of orient because a lot of times like I mentioned before people will be like oh like when your voice is you know when you can't sing correctly or something or when you have a speech impediment I'm like no not quite <laughs> yeah I love those you speak very eloquently about the profession even though you are not a music therapist and I throughout this whole conversation have been very impressed with the way you are able to articulate different aspects of what we do in our experience and your use of vocabulary. So kudos oh, to you. Thank you. Yeah, that's one thing that I am a little bit self-conscious about, actually. So I'm trying. Thank you. <laughs> You're doing a great job. Your favorite self-care practice. Care practice. Mm. Probably reading a book. And I really don't do that often enough. Reading fiction, let's say that. What are you currently reading? Uh, I'm currently reading about three different books that I haven't finished. Um, oh, Pachinko. And I have forgotten the author's name right now, but it's a fabulous book about a young Korean family. Um, and it's wonderful. I'm only about 100 pages in, and maybe I'll finish it this summer. <laughs> Awesome. I'll see if I can find that and link it too for anyone who's also in need of a good fiction book. Yeah. Something that is currently adding value to your life. Oh, my cat. <laughs> um, he's fat and mean to other people, but I can't really, he can't help himself. He's a wonderful little animal. <laughs> I think I skipped this one earlier, so forgive me if I did already ask this. Something you would tell your younger self? Oof. Um, relax, maybe. <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be it. <laughs> So this one, you can spin however you'd like. I usually ask your favorite intervention or song to use in a session. So you could spin this as a teacher, your favorite exercise to do, or your favorite intervention you've observed, whatever comes to mind. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll just go with that sort of vocal play um, line of thought that we were talking about earlier. 
one of my favorite things to have a student do is actually just make sound with like some sort of siren. So it's usually from the top of the voice to the bottom of the voice and really just to make sound and move through the ugly parts with a sort of recklessness or abandon moving through. And I, I can't think of an intervention necessarily that I've seen, but definitely like use of that kind of, um, that kind of vocality in, in music therapy sessions, right? So just to be able to know where you can begin comfortably at the top and then move all the way through. And I'll, I'll, I'll almost always stop a newer student and say, yeah, but you skipped over like this big portion of your voice. Can you try again? And, you know, and let yourself actually phonate through that. And it's usually just like, ah, like something sort of um, unrefined. Yeah, I like that. I'll yeah. add that to my routine, my in-car routine. <laughs> Okay, good. Keep your vowel open. <laughs> vowel open. Got it. Yeah. And lastly, where can the listeners find you, connect with you, and learn more about what you're doing? Oh, um, I have a website that's a work in progress. Um, so I'll have to get that to you a little bit later, but that will have um, a little bit of information. I also have a Facebook and Instagram page. You can find me just by searching my name. Um and I will occasionally post, you know, if there's something exciting going on. Um, a lot of times for me, that's a little performance or a gig of some sort. Um, or, you know, hopefully an article or two that we'll publish in the future. Awesome. I will link all of those and we'll all keep our eyes out for your website and your dissertation and your upcoming research, your new research. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, for teaching me and answering all my questions. Uh, and I know that the listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation and your unique perspective. So thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Have a good rest of your night. Or I guess it's probably thank afternoon you. where you are. Yeah, it is. But thank you. You too. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye. I hope you learned as much from that conversation as I did, and I definitely think this is a conversation that needs to be ongoing because I'm going to say all of us <laughs> use our voice in a clinical setting. I think some of us may be able to go to, through our clinical practice without using guitar or without using piano or any of the other types of physical instruments, but I think that all of us use our voice. So, if you have advice you want to give or other resources or want to continue this conversation, please head over to our Facebook group, join if you haven't already, and let us know your thoughts so that we can continue to help each other out with maintaining and using our vocals in a therapeutic way. As promised, here is our Facebook review. This comes from Christopher Morrison. The podcast allows for music therapists to connect and remind one another that we are not alone in our professional struggles. Listening to the podcast has allowed me to regain excitement in the field and fuel my continued desire to learn more about how I can be an effective music therapist. Thank you so much, Christopher, for being a listener and for writing that beautiful review. It touches my heart to know that people are getting the inspiration that I envision from this podcast. So, if you 
want to be on the show, please send an email to feedback at musictherapychronicles.com. And if there's someone you want to have on the show, want to hear from, please also send us an email at feedback at musictherapychronicles.com and I'll reach out to that person uh, to hopefully have them on. If you want to ask guest questions to the people I have on the show, become a patron over on patreon.com. Patrons have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. So when I schedule an interview, I post it on Patreon and people can comment on those posts to ask their questions of the guests. I know I'm just really excited about this conversation with Martina, in case you couldn't tell, but if I was a listener, I would have had some questions for her, and luckily I was able to ask those today. So thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Thanks for joining our group on Facebook, leaving your reviews, and being supportive, and I will see you in the next one. Mm -hmm.